chapter 15. And don't, don't be scared by that last thing. People may go to lunch. We move. I don't know where we're going to go. Hey, hey, just calm down. Has the Lord led us this far? He gave us this building. We borrowed 14 cents on the dollar when we came in over here. A $10 million building, and we borrowed a million four. Isn't that something? I told him I felt like changing our answering machine. We moved from the Macon Mall over here. I was going to put the Jefferson's theme. Moving on up. I don't know where we're going from here, but debt-free is up. All right, Luke 15. Stand with me one more time, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. Luke 15, 11. And Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together took his journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And when he went, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have desired to fill his belly with the husk that the swines did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said... How many hired servants of my father's have my father have bread enough to spare? And here I am dying with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, ran to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son began to speak, Father... I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again, and was once lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. This is our third week that I'm speaking to you on the subject of God's invitation. God's invitation. We talked about invitations that only the Lord can give. And what makes an invitation special is the one that gives it. An invitation is personal. An invitation is specific. It can be proven. And an invitation has everything that's necessary in it to accomplish the goal of it. It's already all-inclusive. I told you that an invitation can be a call, a summons, an offer, and also permission. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. Permission. Conviction in your heart for your sins is simply the permission to repent. God gives us invitations by declarations or demonstrations of who He is and how He deals with people. And having that knowledge you then have permission to act accordingly. Knowing that God says, whosoever comes to me, I will in no wise turn them away. Knows that I have, that lets me know that I have permission based on that declaration to approach him and my acceptance is guaranteed. In this story, there's several ways that life speaks to us. And then in the the end, I want to share with you how God speaks to us. 
Here's a boy that was in relationship with his father. He had everything, nothing withheld. And he chose to break away from all that was available to go at it on his own. In the natural realm, that's a good thing. You're 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. It's time for you to move. But it also happens in the immaturity to where we can move out or move away from the Lord. And I want to speak to you very briefly on this subject. Number one, if you're taking notes, life speaks to us through our immaturity. And the younger of them said, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. You learn a lot about yourself looking back. You can remember how brain dead you were. How grown you thought you were till you grabbed your daddy and he showed you he had tricks. <laughs> Immaturity is a great teacher, but you don't get the lesson until afterwards. I remember when I was 17 years old and I was a man and I told my mom I was a man and I don't have to abide by these rules. I'm a man. My mama says, you're a man, then why am I paying your bills? And I said, well, uh, about that. You know, I'm working three jobs and going to high school. And so mama started charging me rent because men pay rent. And then before long, I was moving out. And my mother said, now you're welcome to move out. But when you move out, you're telling me that you're grown. Now, are you grown? Because once you're grown, I'm not taking care of you. I will always have an open door for you. I'll always be your mother and I'll always love you, but grown men pay their own way. Are you grown? Said, yeah, I'm grown. I was stealing toilet tissue out of gas stations. <laughs> I dined and dashed at the quail's nest. I can't tell you how many times. I met the owner of quail's nest not too long ago and I felt so bad. Let me look at, let, look at immaturity with me. Number one, immaturity thinks that God or life owes you something. He said, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Nothing falls to you, Rambo. What do you mean falleth to you? Well, my inheritance. Oh, you mean my, what I have. But do you know what? Sometimes fathers in their wisdom will let you have what doesn't even belong to you to give you a life revelation. Immaturity feels like the, the, the God or our family or the government owes us something. I'm entitled to something. Our grandparents didn't own their first home till their 50s or 60s. And now we own one at 19. And our car costs more than our parents' house. And we can't understand why it, why it, why it all doesn't seem to work at times. Immaturity thinks that life owes them. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And it said, he just divided unto them his living. Immaturity thinks that the life we have is a result of ourselves. When I meet self-made men, I feel so sorry for them. I'm the first one in my generation to do this. I'm the first one in my family to have this. I'm the first one to succeed. The capacity to think was given to you. Now, I'm not demeaning the work ethic, the vanishing work ethic. That's a whole different sermon. But the capacity to process, the ability to study the things that you did in college. It is God that gives you the capacity to earn wealth. But immature people take from God, take from their father and say, look what I've done. 
Any good thing that happened in your life or has happened in your life came from a result of something God divided unto you at your beginning. Higher immaturity thinks that life is something to be spent instead of something to be invested. It said the father divided unto them all his living and he spent it. He just wasted it on riotous living. Immaturity lives in the now. Maturity starts thinking about later. When you're young, you run down steps. When you're older, you go, why don't they have a rail on this? Help, help you, Daddy. Help, help me. Why? Because we can see the end of the thing. And if I miss a step, I may have to go wait in a doctor's waiting room for three days to be seen by somebody. Mature people start looking at the end of something and they realize that I'm going to stand before God one day and the only thing that's going to be in heaven waiting on me is that which I have sent ahead. So I best not spend my life here. I ought to invest my life for there. So immaturity speaks to Our life speaks to us through our immaturity and lets us know that we might not be as grown as we think we are. And there need to be some changes. This is just information. We're not there yet. This is just free. Don't cost you nothing. Number two, life speaks to us on the road. And not many days after that, it says in verse 13, the younger son gathered it all together and took his journey into a far country. When you start separating what is yours and God's, you're just a few days from leaving him. He said, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. It was all his anyway, right? Everything the father had was his. But he wanted to draw a line of distinction and a line of alienation between that which was his and God's. So on Sunday we'd say this, here's your $10, here's my $90. No, here's your $100 and you're going to let me use 90% of it for me and my family? That's amazing. Is, it, is your life God's or do you tip God with your life? The Bible says that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation. But you were purchased with the shed blood, the, the purchase price of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not your own. And when you find a Christian that separates what is his from what is God's, you mark it down. You'll see a departure. Because why would we want God to give us something that we already have? He wanted to exercise his own independence. Departure always turns to distance. It said he showed up in a far country. No one ever plans on being an alcoholic. They don't wake up and say, I'm going to be an alcoholic in three years. I plan- no one plans on that. But departure from the father's house always turns to distance. I'm just going to walk out of God, walk away from God, walk away from the things of God. Just a little bit. I'm just going to hang out here. But the current of this world doesn't let you hang out there. We're either in the Father's house or outside of the Father's house. And he looked up one day and he found himself in a far country. Life speaks to us through what we've lost. It said he wasted his substance with riotous living. Waste is a process. It's not an event. You ever seen someone in their 40s that you knew in high school and you say, life's been hard on them. 
You can tell it in their countenance. The lost glow that they once had. The sparkling eyes that are now dull. The cheerful uh, speech that is now marked with cynicism and sarcasm. What happens is, when we are born, God grace, even though we're born in sin, He graces us with substance. And whenever you live outside of the Father's house, the world beats the life of God out of you. And we cooperate many times. You look in the mirror and you realize, pieces of me are gone. But God will use the road to teach you things that you would have never learned in the Father's house. He'll use waste to teach you about frugality. He'll use lost, lost, L-O-S-S, lost, to teach you about what's really gain. Some of us had to experience certain things to appreciate other things. Life speaks to us through seasons of famine. I told you departure turns to distance, but distance always turns to famine. He speaks to us through the low places. It says in verse 15 and 16, He went and joined himself to a citizen of the, far co- or the country and sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he longed for the husk that the swines did eat. For a Jewish man, working in a pigsty was the bottom rung of life. There are people in this room, and I am in your company, that we went to places we thought we would have never went. We did things that we swore we would never do. We said things that we never dreamt we'd say. And I'm going to tell you about the grace of God. For those that are elected, elected by God, chosen. You did not choose Him. He chose you. He uses those places not to kill you, but to convict you. This, this man was so different now than when he was in the father's house, that he was looking at what the pigs were eating and desired it. The word fain, King James means coveted. He longed for it. And oh, didn't our taste change when we left the Lord? Didn't what we want change and how we live change? But life will speak to you. Listen, rock bottom can be very encouraging. You didn't know that, did you? Have you, have you ever hit rock bottom? Rock bottom is very encouraging. I've been laying on my back before and you hear that thud and all the air go out of your lungs and you know if there's any moving going to be done, it's up. Because rock bottom, that's as low as you can go. And I've heard of people in the hospital turning to God. I've seen it. I hear people make fun of jailhouse religions. Oh, yeah, he got thrown in jail and he found God. Is there any other kind? Is there any other kind? I mean, I know the goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. But I found more people that found God in the hog pen than they did in the house. 
Sometimes, sometimes we leave the Lord's house so that we can appreciate the Lord's house. And we come back and we're the excited one. The older brother that stayed, sometimes they're kind of cynical and mean and slant-eyed and fussing and griping and gritching. And the other one goes, I'm just so glad to be back. Just glad to be back. What's wrong with these people? And I'm not suggesting you leave. I'm just suggesting you need a revival. That's all. He speaks through us through other people's rejection and disillusionment. It said, and no man gave to him. See, you thought they walked out because they were just self-centered. You thought that no one helped you because they didn't really love you or didn't really care. And I would submit to you that the Lord will put you in situations and orchestrate orchestrate the willingness of other people not to help so you'll find yourself alone because when we're alone we're going to look for somebody to talk to and in those rejection places we can turn to a God that's never left us nor forsook us he speaks to us our life speaks to us by bringing us to clarity I call them aha moments where you go aha oh life will bring you to clarity so here he is Far away from his father, in the hog pen, eating husk mixed in with the waste of this pig. And it said he just came to himself. He just said, what is going on? Listen, life has a way of not just hardening you, but going, hey, wake up. Look at yourself. It was cool when you're 17, now you're 47. Wake up. You get clarity. And he, the Bible said he came to himself. He came to himself. Self-revelation is an incredible thing because sometimes you need to hear from somebody with some sense. That was a joke. <laughs> he came to himself. Number three, life speaks to us by our own words and by our memories. Life speaks to us in our own language, our own words. I'm about to tell you something that is very profound. And it's this. The most weighty words, weighty words that you'll ever hear in your life come from your lips. You value your opinion more than anyone else's. And listen to what he said. My father's servants have bread enough to spare. And here I am dying with hunger. Let's break it down. He spoke of his relationship. My father. It doesn't matter where I've been. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter how many promises I've broke. God's relationship. My relationship with him is still in effect. And to the backslidden person, you may be a dishonorable son or a daughter, but you're still a son and a daughter. And even if other people said you're not, and even if you said you are not, you are. He spoke of his relationship, and then he spoke of what others had. He said, my father's servants. He recognized that other people had position and status with God. He spoke of what he had forfeited. He said, they have bread enough to spare. Bread. They, I forfeited bread. I forfeited intimacy. I forfeited my room in the house. The servants are still there. 
Oh, what a wonderful day when you realize that other people have what you could have. How do you put a price tag on a heart without condemnation? A guilt-free conscience. What do you mean guilt-free? Well, let's start with guilt. Guilt means that I have done something, I'm aware of something, and sentence has been passed. Guilt-free means that someone else has paid my debt. Guilt-free. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He said, I had forfeited bread. Other people are enjoying what I could have, but I forfeited. He spoke of abundance, bread enough to spare. Listen, living for God and living with God, when you live in the Father's house, it's a narrow way. That house is not as big as the world. That house has restrictions. That house has rules. But it's a joyful house. It's a rewarding house. It's a peace-filled house. And he knew he had... And it was a house that had plenty to eat. And he said, I have forfeited bread. He spoke of his condition. He said, I am perishing. He said, my father's servants have bread enough to spare and I'm dying. I want you to picture, if you will, this morning. I want you to picture this boy in this shed, if you will. And this pig sty out here filled with mud and, and mixed food and the excrement of these animals. And after he's done his chores, he walks into this shed and there's a broken piece of mirrored glass attached to the wall by some rope and he looks at himself and he goes I don't even recognize that guy I believe in my heart there are people here this morning that you don't recognize yourself anymore but I'll tell you what he did he was honest he said I'm dying all your buddies on the weekend, say you're okay. You say, no, I'm not okay. I'm dying. My eyes tell me I'm dying. My words tell me I'm dying. My body tells me I'm dying. I'm looking at the ghost my friends are becoming, and I'm seeing a reflection of myself. I am dying. And God, God is so at work in the, in the pigsty environments, in the low places. And he speaks to us through clarity. He made the confession. He didn't have other people make. He said, I am dying. And if you look at it in context, by my own choices, I'm killing myself. And then he just flipped. He said, here I am perishing with hunger. I will arise. Not I'm thinking about it. Not I'm praying about it. Not maybe might hope so. He said, I will arise and go to my father's house. He decided to make a turn. Now, here's where the invitation comes in. So that was my one point. Well, it's three points, really, in one. And we only have two. So here's the other one. God speaks to us through his actions. On the other sermons, I told you about invitation, about God speaking, verbally, inviting, calling, requesting. But this isn't what this is. This story is an invitation given by his actions that lets you know what is acceptable. Look at me. Look at this in your Bible. He speaks to us by his position. Of waiting for us. Look in your Bible, verse 20. I want you to see it. While he was still a great way off, his father saw him. How could he see him a great way off coming towards him? I'm asking you, how could he see him? 
waiting for him. Yeah. He's watching. So here's this man with this business of servants and agriculture. And I can see one of them saying, how long are you going to wait here at the gate? You, we got a business to run. He said, my boy is out here. And the only way for him to be there at the exact moment that the son was coming home is that he was there every day. So see, I, 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 I don't even have the vocabulary to tell you. I wish I did know how to express My mind can't take it all in that God would wait on me to come home. That stance at the gate is an invitation. That, see, you thought, you thought you were too far gone. Somebody Wednesday night, I was asking the question, what words were spoken over you positive and what words were spoken over you negatively that uh, affected you? And one young man said, they used to tell me that I was past grace. I wanted to say two things. If they meant that, not cutting up, but if they at all for saying it wouldn't be right, but if they meant that spitefully, that's a cruel thing to say, but it couldn't be any more incorrect. Grace is the, is the culmination of the permission accepted. You can't get something that's not available. But see, God could have it to where the boy come home and run through the house saying, Have you seen daddy? Have you seen daddy? Have you seen daddy? And finally tracked him down and granted him permission. That, that's not what this is. This action shows you how accessible and how desired it was on the Father's end. God speaks to us by His anticipation of our return. It said He saw Him. He didn't stand at the gate and go, Oh, He's here. There was such an excitement in this text that I'm going to get to in just a moment. I bet each day it was as if, is this the day? Now, that's where the type breaks down because our Lord knows our thoughts are far off before we think them. He knows when we're coming home. But He wants us to understand in the same way a father would wait on his boy. He waits on us. And He speaks the invitation through His anticipation. He speaks the invitation through deep sympathy and pity for us. It said he had compassion on him. He speaks invitation to us by the speed in which he closed the gap. Look in your Bible, verse 20. It said he ran towards him. In the Greek, that word means he raced towards him. So here's the father watching the son from afar off. And I I imagine... The son probably had his head down, overcome with embarrassment and grief and regret and humiliation. And he didn't, he wanted to come home, but he didn't want his father to see him as he was. Because if he were dying, dying, then he would look like he was dying. Have you ever said, I just don't want God to see me like this? And as soon as the father saw him, he picks up the part of his tunic. And he, the old man starts running. 
That's why I don't have this much time for someone that talks about them coming back to the Lord like they were the key player in it. You're walking. He's running. You're thinking about it. He's overflowing with anticipation and an expression of joy. These actions are the invitation. The awareness of how he desires and longs and yearns and runs. Oh, God closes gaps, baby. Gaps, long gaps, years of gaps, decades of gaps. Uh, The gap of failure, the gap of unbelief. And any time we turn, God runs. I can't understand it, but I experienced it. I walked the aisle. Yeah, and God ran and about knocked me over before I got there. That's the Lord. See, God gives us word pictures so we can understand. God speaks to us and demonstrates the invitation by his emotion. It said he fell on his neck. In 20 years, I've only told this a couple of times. It's very personal, but it fits perfectly, and I feel like I'm supposed to here. In 1974, I was uh, at a funeral, my dad's funeral, and I remember it like yesterday. My dad was my person. I mean, you love both parents. And like you say, I love all my kids the same. <laughs> we love them all the same, meaning we die for all of them. But, and you have a parent that's a little bit more special or the person compared to the two. You say, I love mama, but I'm a daddy's girl or something like that. So I remember sitting on the front. And when they wheeled my father, what was left of him, down and turned, you know, the casket sat on these, it's like four posts with wheels, and it sits on that. I remember starting to stand up. It was, in the, it was in the middle of the service. I just remember standing up and walking over to it, and I'm not trying to be melodramatic. I'm telling you that I fell on the leg of that thing. My body gave way. I fell and I held onto the wheel. I was so moved. I didn't know what to do. And this picture is God saying, when I see you turn towards me, he ran to the boy and collapsed on the boy. He was that picture you see of the father holding the son up in the Christian bookstore. Wrong picture. Wrong. He fell on the boy. The boy was holding him up. So moved. And herein is the love of God. Herein is the express, the permission. It's that he's more moved than the son is. Oh, grace is such a scandal. It's not right. It's unthinkable. And he's trying to repent. And see, if you base your salvation on how good you repent, and we are to repent. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. But that's not the deciding thing. He's, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be. That word kissed in your Bible means all over. He's interrupting his son's repentance. And Daddy, stop. I just want to tell you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His kiss. Changed my life. Changed my life. 
changed my life. I should have known when I saw him standing at the gate I was in for something. But an invitation sometimes comes not in words but in affection. Sorry. No, I'm not. (laughs) Ben, if you would come, please. He communicates his invitation by how quickly he restores him. Bring forth the fatted calf. Let's kill it. And uh, let's get the band together. We're throwing a party. My son is like, wait, 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 wait. I got to go to purgatory, don't I? What? I got some penance to do. Let me come back as a servant. Son, you've missed the cardinal, cardinal sonship 101 class. Every son serves, but not every servant is a son. I'm going to let you serve. But you don't earn your way back in grace. You left a son. You come home a son. Instantly. That's why I include all the time in my testimony to you that I was out the night before I was born again till almost four in the morning. Got born again with alcohol racing through my system. And he said, John's home. That Christian, that just beats all I've ever said. It doesn't make sense. And I know that when you come into church some places, they start sizing you up by what you wear, what you don't wear, where you've been, or the smell that emanates from you. They can tell. Uh, excuse me, John. This is church. This is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Chapel. What makes you think... I got an invitation. Oh, there's nothing on here. Look at him. And the father is weeping and laughing. And the band is starting up. And while I'm talking to this guy trying to keep me out, he's kissing me. The father's kissing me all over. And the guy says, oh, I guess you must have permission. Invitation. It's, oh, oh, oh. Not just come in this house. You own the house. Oh, okay. See, we're not just people in the house. Reverently. It's all ours. It's all ours. The invitation is given. You can tell by his desire to celebrate, by how he refers to him. He didn't say my prodigal. The translators put prodigal in. He said my son was once dead is now alive. He was once lost and now found. You can tell by the father's countenance. He said, let's make merry. Make this festive. And you can tell by what he didn't say. So the son comes in. The father meets him at the road. He's kissed him all over. The band is starting up. Now picture it. The father goes, I'll be be right back. He goes and gets a ring and shoes. And the son didn't quite expect this. He's thinking process and God's thinking, his father's thinking party. And he takes his coat off and he starts to put him and say, oh daddy, daddy, I've not even, I've not even bathed or anything. Oh, my coat will cover that. And the coat of righteousness was put on him. And he said, put this ring on your finger. This is a signet ring. This son could put his ring in wax and seal documents for his father. It identified him. In the same way an animal would be branded, the son would be 
branded. It's marked that he's his father's. And I love this one. Why shoes? Because slaves, servants in many places during this time were not given shoes because they would run away. But if they ran away barefoot, it would slice their feet and they would get infected. And since there weren't antibiotics, people would die. And he laced his boy's shoes up and he said, my boy doesn't stay because he has to. My boy stays because he gets to. And the party started. I didn't know who would be here today. And I know most of us have already accepted the invitation. But your father stands at the door and knocks at your heart. And if any man opens the door, he will come in and bridge the gap. Make up the distance. He waits on you. So with every eye open, no hype, no fanfare. And I give you my word as the pastor of this church. No one will embarrass you. If you're away from the Lord and you want to come home, I want you to stand to your feet and come find a place and pray. He waits for you. Come on. God bless you. Where are you? Come on. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Where are you? Come on. Come home. Come home. Those that do not respond, that's worse than a no. Because people that say no at least have the courtesy of telling him. If you just ignore him. The Father waits on you. Who else is away from God and wants to come home? Our altar workers, would you come pray with these? God bless you, sister. Who else? I'm just away from the Lord. I need to come back. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Saints, do you realize what's happening? People are coming home. They're coming home. Just like they are. Just as they are. Coming home. Those in the congregation, I want you to look to me. You're going to go home in just a minute. I don't, I'm not a guy that tries to just generate stuff, but I feel prompted to say this. This is the truth from my heart. I believe if I would have rejected that invitation that day that I would have died in my sins. I knew it was it. You just, you don't do despite under the spirit of grace. And if you see in your heart, God standing saying, I'll bridge the gap. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If that's you. From the fear of the Lord and judgment. I want you to come. I was that person. Who am I speaking to this morning? Who wants to come home? Where are you, sir? Where are you, ma'am? Wait just a moment longer.
while these pray, would you do something with me? We only have a couple minutes more. Would you stand and make a private altar where you are and reminisce on your day and thank him? Say, I remember when you took me home. I remember when you accepted me. Thank you, Lord. Tell him thank you this morning. Glory to your name, God. I want to live in your house forever, Lord. Your house forever, Lord. Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. (laughs) Miracles are happening in this altar this morning. Thank you, Lord. ask Pastor Holden to pray over us and dismiss us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for waiting on us, God. Thank you for drawing us nearer so that we can draw nearer to you. Father, we thank you for the word that has gone forth to accomplish everything that you have sent it forward to. We thank you for your people. We thank you for every person that was here this morning. We thank you for your spirit that continuously changes us, empowers us to be and do all that you've called us to do. Thank you for returning home your sons and your daughters. Thank you for restoration of the corporate, the body of Christ, the family, God. We thank you for the spirit of love. We thank you for your grace and your mercies. And for those that have accepted you today, We thank you, God, that your grace and your mercy continuously proves to be new every morning. God, we honor you and we bless your holy name for who you are. So, Father, as we leave here today, for those of us who know you and for those who have come to know you today, Father, we thank you that we stand and it it is our blessed assurance to be in right relationship and fellowship with you today and forevermore. Thank you, God, for calling us home. It is so good to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, let all that agree say, amen, amen, amen. Hey, church family, hold on, hold on.
We had somebody come down restored to the Lord during the prayer at the very end. Can somebody help me celebrate this morning? Yes. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hey, have a wonderful week. God bless you today.